You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bott and Megan Gesner. and pals this is megan i wanted to take an opportunity to update harini and our listeners on my compounded semaglutide journey mm-hmm. um so this will actually be a follow-up episode to our ozempic episode which is few episodes back and along with my own personal journey update i'm going to talk about the current state of the country and what's going on with Ozempic and Wagovi and uh, semaglutide in general mm-hmm. um, since we've last talked about it. Because I don't know about you, Harini, but I feel, well, I feel that the conversation around Ozempic has died down, yeah. but I have also really removed myself from TikTok. Mm. Um, not for any particular reason. I My motivation to open oh, the yeah, app yeah. is so low. Yeah. I don't know what's changed. Yeah. Um, nothing has influenced me to not be engaged in TikTok anymore. But but I think part of the reason why I think the conversation around Ozempic has gone down is because I simply am not on mm. social media as much anymore. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask your opinion. Do you feel like there's still conversation around it as much as it was when it was a hot, hot topic? It has completely died. I don't even see as... Megan knows, and maybe you guys know, I'm very much on social media. I have not seen a single thing, not even a post, not even the yeah. word Ozempic, because I think um, Manjaro has just recent – was it Manjaro? Yeah. Manjaro also was supposed to get mm-hmm. FDA approval soon for just weight loss. I don't know if it already happened, but it's supposed mm-hmm. to happen this year. I would expect to mm-hmm. see information and alerts around that. Nothing. It's just like like you said, it was a complete clear drop-off. Yeah. I think – uh, towards the tail end of me kind of noticing um, uh, people still talking about it. The last thing I saw regarding semaglutide <laughs> was on the Daily Mail. Mm. Yes, I look at trash <laughs> Daily Mail because I like the pictures. <laughs> Do I read the content? No, I just tap, tap, yeah. tap, tap, you know, on Snapchat, tap, tap, tap. But it was something on Daily Mail where it talked about some celebrity who had really good success on Manjaro. Okay. And that was last thing I've ever seen about it. And part of me is like, have we stopped talking about this because Manjaro is just a long word? Yeah. <laughs> like it's not, it's not, it's not as, not as um, flavorful off the tongue as Ozempic is right. or Wagovi. I don't know. I don't know. So, but I think that's really, that's how things happen. It just happens in waves, even though people are still very much on it, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious how your journey is going though. Yeah. So I want to start with a timeline. Yes. I will include my conversation with my primary care physician that I've told you mm-hmm. about because I think it's important for other people to hear like this. Obviously, it's one experience, yeah. my experience, but it was not a good experience. <clears throat> and I think a lot of people probably have the same experience. So anyways, yeah. we'll get to that. So for those of you who are interested in just like the full process and kind of an estimate of the time that it took for me to get the prescription, actually physically get the drug, and then how much weight have I lost mm-hmm. since? I'm going to go over all Love of it. it. All right. 
So it might be a little dry, but I want this to be educational yeah. for people who want to know more or are trying to research, yeah. um, you know, what this might do mm -hmm. for them. On March 31st, I set up an account, March 31st of this year, 2023, I set up an account with the telehealth service. Uh, the telehealth service that I use is called Push Health. I didn't mention it in our Zempic episode last time because I wasn't sure of like even using their name in our episode because mm -hmm. it was really like um, stigmatized yeah. a couple months yeah. ago. But Push Health, I've used them and I think it's a pretty great service. A medical professional, in my case, I was assigned to a registered nurse. And when you go onto these telehealth services, specifically for Push Health, you can actually check a box of what type of medical practitioner you you prefer hmm. to work with. So if you exclusively want to work with uh, a physician, mm -hmm. then you can check that and then leave like nurse off or oh, whatever else. That's off. interesting. But I left it all on. I was like, I, I don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like any any medical professional can yeah. help me. So I got assigned to a registered nurse. She responded to my request on that same day that I opened up my account. Amazing. And she even wrote my pr prescription and sent it to a compounding pharmacy in Arizona all on the wow. same day. So that gave me a lot of hope and motivation thinking, wow, this is this is so quick Like for her to respond and send it along on the day I opened my account. Yeah, Pretty impressive. The pharmacy that she sent it to, it's a compounding pharmacy called Strive Pharmacy. Uh, there's a location in Arizona. They actually have a location in San Diego, but I don't think the San Diego location does compounded semaglutide. Mm -hmm. So that's why she sent it to this location in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Between March 31st and April 4th, uh, so what is that? That's a full week. Like five days, yeah. Five days, yeah. There were no updates or notifications from the pharmacy. Okay. So I had a really good success the first day and then suddenly silence. Yeah. On April 4th, I decided to be proactive and I called the pharmacy and they said that they did not receive my script. Hmm. Like, so I was like, okay, now I'm getting a little bit like, uh, -oh, yeah, yeah. Like, there's clearly problems. <laughs> I messaged my healthcare provider that same day that I called the pharmacy to check in on them. She resent the script and they received it immediately okay. and they confirmed cool. it. Like I got all the notifications then. So I'm not sure what happened on the first go around. Mm -hmm. I did get the impression that this pharmacy, compounding pharmacy, was very inundated with requests because when I called them, they were like, oh, you know, we still, we've got so many that come in on a Monday and we just try to process them, but we might have missed yours. Got it. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it happens. Yeah, sure. I officially receive my vial of compounded semaglutide on April 12th. So from April 4th to April 12th, after they received my prescription, uh, I had to wait a full week to actually get it delivered to mm -hmm. me. So at this point in time, they were still shipping my drug on ice into California. Okay. And it took a week for that to happen. I started at the very typical dosage for semaglutides. Uh, Ozempic is this way. Wagovi is this way. Manjaro might be different. Okay. I don't know enough about Manjaro to know this. But I started at 0.25 milligrams of the compounded semaglutide, which is pretty standard. Mm -hmm. And that's what I started on in my, in my first month. I lost 12 pounds in my first month. Whoa. Now, I want to make something very clear. It just so happened to be Ramadan mm. when I started my my dosaging. Right. And 
in Ramadan, you fast mm-hmm. until the day, until the sun sets. I think that did help or it assisted with me losing 12 pounds in the first okay. month. Um, because when you fast, your stomach is already so small at the end of the day that, yes, sometimes I've had I've had months of Ramadan where my stomach will be so small at the end of the day, but I will <laughs> overeat because I'm like so giddy to see what meal yeah. is you know ready for me at the end of the day. So I'll overeat, overeat. <laughs> And like no regrets. Right. Like I'm happy to eat and be full and then go and fast again the next right. day. That's a lot of people who fast during Ramadan can probably relate to that. But I think the combination of fasting and having a very teeny tiny stomach plus having this GLP-1 inhibitor in my system really restricted my desire to eat so much at the end of the day. Interesting. That yeah, yeah. Sense. Yeah. Because also what I found very interesting as a effect of being on the drug is that you, if you quote unquote overeat, whatever that means for anybody, like to a point where you just, you just know your belly is full and extended and bloated. When you're on semaglutide, you really feel it. Meaning you really feel the discomfort of having eaten more than you should have. Before I've ever took semaglutide, I would be able to eat a lot Mm -hmm. before I reached a point where my brain said, this is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. On semaglutide, I would notice that feeling come faster. I even experimented. I basically experimented while on the compound of semaglutide. I would eat and I'd recognize, I'm like, oh, I'm already uncomfortable. Like I've reached a point Mm -hmm. where this is my stopping point. Like my brain is telling me, stopping point. This inhibitor is saying, you don't, like you you have no desire to eat anymore. <laughs> but I did test it. I kept going. Okay. Like one or one or two times there were some meals where I was like, I'm going to fucking just finish this burrito yeah. even though I only really needed to eat yeah. half because that's what my body is telling right. me. But I would eat the whole burrito. The feeling of discomfort was on a whole nother level. Like I can't explain it unless unless you like unless you really know if you've been in my shoes of like was it painful it was yeah uh painful's not the right word but just very uncomfortable mm-hmm. more than i've ever been uncomfortable before wow. like almost sick i i would feel sick ah. um and so hmm. again for example before taking the drug i could eat a whole carne asada burrito <laughs> No issue. And I would recognize that like, oh, you know, I probably didn't have to eat that. But I would never feel so much discomfort. I would never feel nauseous or sick or whatever. But on on semaglutide, it really really tells you like this is the amount that on this inhibitor you're supposed to eat. If you go past – if you go over the line, you are going to have consequences. And that consequences is incredible discomfort. That's so fascinating. that's how I felt for myself. Huh. So if you're wondering like, oh, does it really uh, does does it really work as an inhibitor of like uh, preventing food noise, essentially? The answer is yes, it truly does. And then I didn't know this until literally today, but <laughs> GLP-1 inhibitors, they actually do make your stomach digest more slowly mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. That's probably what that I is. Yeah. That's what I'm that's saying. What that so I'm like, that's why it's tied to discomfort because it's actually 
the food is sitting in your belly longer. So I think that's why I felt uncomfortable longer. That's (laughs) because I'm not digesting as fat. It's just like, and I had so many Uh, moments of acid reflux. mm, That was something that I didn't know happens. And I'm like, you know why there's acid reflux or whatever? It's because this burrito (laughs) is sitting in your mouth. 2 2 p.m. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Just right at the throat line, right at the Yeah. (laughs) This burrito that I had hours ago is still in my stomach. I won't say until the next day, but like a full 10 hours later. You're still like coughing up beans and rice as you're talking. (laughs) I know. I know that sounds that I know you that's an exaggeration, but I would legitimately burp. And, you know, sometimes when you burp, you'll yeah, there's a little little regurgitation, right? That would happen. And I'm like, I ate this burrito hours ago. How is it still wild? That is wild. I mean, I find this person I I don't I know you were in so much discomfort mm. and I don't like that but I find it so fascinating in the name of science that you did this experimentation with yourself because yeah. it I just wanted to test Yes, it. of course. <laughs> we're, we're so curious. I'm and you're so curious and I know that and I love that you just did it once mm-hmm. just to see mm-hmm. because it shows you this drug works. It freaking works. It, it does really what does. it says <laughs> because at first when you were saying like you felt discomfort, I thought mm-hmm. is that the true feeling of satiety of like, you are done. You're done. You cannot yes. eat anymore. I think it's a combination mm-hmm. of the satiety, but what you were feeling like the really true discomfort is definitely the slow digestion for sure. Yes. But that is so fascinating. The satiety component, like mm-hmm. you feel, because, okay, I, I was thinking about this. I think, and I think mm-hmm. you were talking about this for Ramadan, your stomach sh- shrank during Ramadan, yeah. right? Because you're not eating mm-hmm. as much. Your brain, your body understands it kind of conserves that. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. me, I was talking – I had texted Megan this. Um, we had to go on an extended three-week-long vacation, unplanned. It literally ate out every single meal because we didn't have a kitchen, right? So mm-hmm. I have not eaten so much in my life. Like I was able mm-hmm. to eat. Like I was shocked. Like there were points yeah. where I'm like, man, I am full, but I would – see it but through. I keep going. No, I would I wouldn't yes. even want to keep going. I'm like, damn, but I'm like, this looks so good. I don't think I can eat it. Yeah. Somehow the, the whole plate is clean at the end of the day. I'm like, what? Yes. Where did that food yes. go? You know, like wow. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay. And the thing is, I would feel the sensation of you're full and mm-hmm. you should probably stop, but I could keep mm-hmm. going. You know, I'm yes. like that is really fascinating to me because that feeling of satiety is not as strong. I don't even yes. know if I've ever felt like maybe when I have to unbutton all my pants and I'm like, dude, I if I eat another bite, I'm going to burst. You know, like I have gone to that yeah. point many times in my life for sure. But I don't know. I just think it's so fascinating that clearly if you're on this drug, if you're on semaglutide, that is just taking up it sounds like almost like five to 10 levels more. Yes. That's everything you just said is the perfect way to explain what I experienced because, you know, you talking about there's food in front of me. I could feel that I was full and probably satiated, but I want to clean that whole plate. Right. And I did it. And that feeling of sati- satiation wasn't strong enough that that's why I could mm-hmm. finish mm-hmm. that plate. Harini. That has been my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I think people could relate to this, but like when I talk to friends or family, 
my mother. <laughs> Sorry, mom. But like, I don't think they understand that my satiation control yeah. or whatever yeah. you want to call it. It's I've always been the type that I'm like, I'm I probably don't have to finish this, but I will. But I'm gonna mm-hmm. keep going. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time in my life that when I tested this, like, okay, what happens if I go past this line mm-hmm. that I can totally feel? It's almost a tangible <laughs> feeling in my stomach now that I'm on this drug. What happens if I push past this? And what happened, you know, besides the feeling of discomfort and uh, having a burrito in my stomach <laughs> for hours in a day, for several hours, I I had an epiphany of like, This is what it feels like for people who naturally do not get so overwhelmed by food noise. This is what it feels like when food noise is eliminated. And I found that super fascinating and surreal. I felt like I was living in a different world. Yes. It's like you're in a different – it feels like you're in a different body. Like you've switched bodies with somebody else almost. It's a different Mm -hmm. composition altogether. I was going to say just for our listeners and for myself, can you explain what mm-hmm. food noise is? It's – it's well, I – my interpretation of food noise is kind of like that lack of satiation mm-hmm. that um, – or the weakness of satiation. Some people might define it differently. I'm defining it based on anecdotally and what I what I think food noise sound, like would be defined yeah. – by my experiences, mm-hmm. the very what's the very typical example is you're just sitting around the house all day and you have nothing better to do. Mm. So you end up going to your fridge and looking at your fridge and your pantry and snacking and snacking all day. Yeah. That's very normal. Yeah. Tons of people do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not uncommon, nothing to be ashamed of. But I consider that food noise for me because I've had many days where it's like, well, I got nothing else going on. I could even I maybe have even gone for a walk already in the day. But the moment I come back from the walk, I check my fridge. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas when you're on this drug, you don't have that thought at all. I see. You you come home from that walk, the fridge has – you have no interest. Yeah. You have no interest in food. Yeah. In fact, sometimes the thought of food makes you feel sick. Yeah. That's another thing. And yeah. I'm sharing that as like – I'm not saying this that that is a positive thing. I'll, everything I'm saying is just what I yeah, experience. Neutral. Just mm-hmm. take it as neutral. But yeah, like the absence of food noise to me now that I've been on the drug is just having no interest in getting a snack. Yeah. Having no interest. Harini, you and I, we freaking love our fried chicken sandos. Starting this drug, I would get nauseous <sighs> at the idea of having anything fried in my stomach. That fried chicken sandos <sighs> hurts. I've never wanted something less. Oh. Isn't that crazy? That is heartbreaking. Sad, right? Well, I, I had a feeling. Of, <laughs> well, now now it's negative. Now we're like, this is negative. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, but that is <laughs> it's fine. That is my experience. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's fine. No, it's not. Well, I had a. I was like, that was one thing that I knew with you going on this. I was like, I told myself I had a pep talk. So I was like, Harini, there's a possibility. No more chicken sandos with Megan. And yeah. I was like, you have to be yeah. okay with that. I'm like, I'm, I'm not okay with that, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's all the name of science. Chicken, yeah. Chicken sandals was just an example. Yeah. Um, specifically, since uh, you know, being on this drug, fried foods mm-hmm. do not appeal to gotcha. me. Something <laughs> which <clears throat> I think is so crazy that this didn't appeal to me in the first place. 
but I've never been that big of a fruit eater. I eat my vegetables. Really? Don't get I totally eat my own vegetables, but I'm not someone who buys fruit in bulk all that much. Oh. Like I don't go to the grocery store and pick up a couple apples. Interesting. No. That's that was actually very rare for me. That has since changed. Fried foods are out for me now. I crave fruit all the time. Amazing. All the time. That's freaking yeah. amazing. Okay, yeah. Which is really That's weird. really fascinating to me. Well, shit, I was also going to say, oh, my theory on why you may not like fried foods is because mm-hmm. it is essentially fat and fat takes right. longer to digest. So it also be yes. linked to more comfortability at the end of the day. Yes. I that's that's totally it. It's the my brain being like I know that this will feel uncomfortable in my stomach. So I have no appetite for yeah. it. Whereas fruit is fresh. Yes. It's um it is sweet. My my sugar, my desire for sugars have definitely gone up. Mm-hmm. I've never been a huge sweet mm-hmm. tooth, but I like desserts kind of appeal <laughs> appeal to me now. Um but yeah, you're you're right on that. That I, okay, I have yeah. two questions. For, well, I have one comment and one question. So you were to go back to the food noise. It's so f- mm-hmm. interesting to hear you say this because, well, we can cut this out. I'll, I'll ask Dave if he's okay with me sharing this. But I have noticed this with Dave, and ever since we, I, I've known him since we've been dating each other. Uh, he has always had a sweet tooth. I've kn- I've known that. But then once we mm-hmm. actually started to live together, and or I started to be around him at more hours of the day or all hours of the day. He is a snacker, like very mm. much a snacker. And it always kind of mind blows me because, for example, like we will ha- have eaten a full ass meal, right? Full meal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we'll come home from dinner. Maybe it's like 30 minutes later or an hour later. We're watching TV or something together. And then he'll be mm-hmm. hunting, gathering through the kitchen yeah. and like looking for something to yeah. snack on. And I'll be like, are you yeah. still hungry? And sometimes at first I was – concerned because I was like, shoot, I'm not feeding him enough. Like if I had cooked dinner, mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. I didn't make enough for him. He's so hungry. And that would make me feel so bad. I'm like, I'm, I was like, did you not eat enough? Like I, I can make more next time. And he's like, no, I, yeah, yeah. I ate a lot. He's like, I ate so much. Like I ate a lot. I'm like, then why are you yeah. snacking? <laughs> like I didn't understand that, yeah, yeah. you know? And he doesn't, he didn't really have an answer. Like I'll, I like just right now I walked into the room to go grab something. There's a whole can of Pringles by his bedside. <laughs> Good for him. I'm like, Nothing, I, was like, that's, yeah. I was like, when did he put that thing? When did he eat that? I was like, I was with yeah, him all yeah. night, you know? And yeah. I don't know, maybe I think people do it for different reasons, but I'm just, I'm curious. I want to have a conversation with him. Not for any like punishing reasons, but just like out of curiosity, I'm like, do you feel this way? Like when you come home from something, an event or whatever that you're like, the first thing is like, oh, what's in the fridge? What's in the pantry? Like, do you have those thoughts too? Yeah. Just out of curiosity, you know, but yeah. In in terms of Dave, I, to me, like that, that behavior of you had a full meal, but you know, after post meal and you know, you're going to be cuddling up on the couch, watching a good (laughs) show together, whatever. It's comfort. It is. It's comfort to have those little snackies yes. in your hand. And again, that's something that's super common and natural. And it's also habitual too. Yeah. And I, I wonder like how much of it is food noise or how much of it is like I've done this for so long mm, when I watch TV habit. that it's hard for me to not, mm-hmm, you know, do mm-hmm. this anymore. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there's nothing wrong with it. But I yeah, I would if you're going to ask him about it, be like, is this a comfort thing? Is this a, you, you feel insatiated Mm -hmm. or is this like, you just have a natural, um, like a 
watching TV is a trigger yeah. to associate snacks. Yeah, you know, totally. So it is yeah, interesting. It could be a combination, right? All of that, but um, the second thing I was going to ask, or the yeah, the question now was we had talked about this before you went on Ozempic, right before I left. Mm-hmm. How you mm-hmm. had read or heard about things that sometimes uh, being on semaglutide can make food taste mm-hmm. bad or bland, right? Mm-hmm. Have you had that experience? I don't think I've had that experience to the extreme that I thought it was going to okay. be. Um, I would kind of put what I said about fried foods into that bucket. Sure. It's not that it tastes bad. It's just more of like this thinking of, this isn't going to make my stomach feel happy. Right, right. Um, has anything tasted explicitly <laughs> bland to me or unsatisfying? No. Okay. That's good. I know that my coworker and good friend who started this journey at the same time as mm-hmm. me, she has said that she'll eat something and she's just like, meh. Like that was what her brain tells that, her. Is that um, still so, happening yeah. for her? Because I know she was saying that was happening at the very beginning. Is that Has that continued right. for her? I don't okay. know. I don't know the answer. Because since then, there have been times where we'll eat lunch together and she will comment like she'll be like, "Oh, this is so good." Okay, you know, so maybe it's certain foods, um, you know, or maybe it's just how recent her injection mm-hmm. is, because uh, that is mm-hmm. one thing. Yeah. You definitely feel the drug waning by the end of the week. So yeah, you inject once per week, mm-hmm. and for me, I would get fully nauseous the day after injection. Okay. So nausea is the thing. Mm-hmm. I would inject, and then the next day I'd be nauseous. The rest of the week would be fine, no nausea, appetite super low, food noise does not exist, blah, blah, blah. But let's say I, I inject on a Monday. Come Sunday, I can feel the cravings. Yeah. The the food noise starts to trickle back, and I'm like, ooh, maybe that fried chicken sandwich does <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> and it is a very fascinating thing to actually feel the drug kind of disappear and then that's, that's why you re-inject yeah. a whole week later. Wow. So yeah. So for you at least, food still has mm-hmm. ability or it still is the same for you in terms of it tastes delicious. Maybe like a few things just out of uncomfortability, but it, it still has the same flavor yes. and depth that you enjoy. Yes. Okay. This is true. Cool. This is true. Cool. I just I just don't seek out food as often Correct. is the thing. Yeah. Cause I know we talked, I, I drew had said this to me when I first told mm-hmm. him I was going to be on a compounded semaglutide. Mm-hmm. He said, he was like, Oh, you know, but you love cooking. And I like, he was like, I'm sad for you or some, he used some language of like, I, you know, you love cooking so much. Like, I hope that doesn't change for you or something. Yeah. It was either drew or you that said that. And I thought that was such a sweet thing. Cause I'm like, it's true. That is something I haven't really considered. Uh, my love for cooking has not changed. I just don't do it as much. Right. Like I still feel a lot of satisfaction from the flavors mm-hmm. and the the creativity. But um, yeah, I guess no, that's yeah. It. You just do it less. Like <laughs> I, I think that's yeah. I think that's important to hear because I think there's a lot of maybe it's different per person as you were saying, but I think there's maybe some people who may have been turned off to it because they sure. it they felt like they won't like food anymore or things wouldn't taste as good, right. which I'm glad to hear that's not necessarily the case. Um, yeah. I, I'm, t- now I'm, I'm now I'm like, I feel like I'm interviewing you, but I have so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> but that's all good. I have, I have one of, I'm sure I have more questions, but my immediate next question mm-hmm. is, um, 
she was gonna say. Oh yeah, for the injections. Do do mm-hmm. they hurt? I, I know you've been taking it for a while now. It's been a few months. So do they hurt? Because I know you have to rotate the injection sites. Is is your skin mm-hmm. sore? Like how is that process of actually injecting? So I don't have the pen that we often associate with Ozempic. Okay. And also you did say I used Ozempic. I want to make yeah. clear I am not using Ozempic. Yeah. I am using a compounded mm-hmm. semaglutide, which we'll talk about more of like, what does that even mean? Is it Ozempic? Is it Wagovi? We'll talk about yeah. that. So I don't use a pen. I use a, like an insulin um, needle. Oh, it's a, just okay. a bland syringe yeah. that you can buy them. I don't know if it's responsible for me to say this, given drug usage and opioid epidemic, but you can buy a pack of syringes on Amazon and they title it as like insulin injection syringes, but they're just plain syringes. Um, I think they go up to a hundred units, which I don't know what that translates to milliliters Mm -hmm. wise. Uh, The needle itself is super teeny tiny. It's not daunting at all. I get a vial. And you pop off the cap of the vial. And it's, what is that rubber sheath on top? Just like the stopper? You know what called? Is it? Yeah. So there, there's a, yeah, there, there's the cap, mm-hmm. which I w- would call the stopper. And then underneath the cap of these types of vials, it's, there's a lid. But what you do, it's, a, it's like a rubber thin lid. You tip the vial over, mm-hmm. you sh- stick the needle into yeah. this, this rubbery mm-hmm. lid because it can just penetrate it easily. So that way, Basically, it's so that your your drug in liquid form does not just fall yeah. out everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I, I inject the needle into the vial, pull five units, which in this case is 0.25 milligrams. And then I prefer injecting in my stomach area mm-hmm. because that's honestly, I have a lot of fat mm-hmm. there. So it's I feel much less. Yeah. Uh, but they do instruct you rotate the sites. So if you're injecting on your right st- right lower abdomen the first week pretty good idea to switch to your left lower abdomen the second week you can even do arm injections and if it's not obvious to some of you uh, the reason why you want to rotate injection sites is because constantly shooting into one area can be detrimental to your skin mm-hmm. cells there or your s- stomach mu- not stomach muscle whatever yeah, yeah like it, cells. it does harm the this that area mm-hmm. Um, so you want to rotate. I have gotten two bruises in the last four months from injecting. Okay. I don't know what causes. Maybe I'm poking myself a different way, but I've only noted two bruises pop up okay. because of these injections. Got it. But otherwise, so it's not not bad. painful or any issues. No, besides not painful. That. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I. It's funny because I can never feel it on my right side when I squeeze my fat there. I can feel it on my hmm. left side, no matter how fa- how hard I squeeze the fat. I injected in my arm today, and the last time I injected my arm, I definitely felt it. This time, I didn't feel it. Interesting. So maybe it's how I'm doing yeah. it. Maybe it's mental. Could be. Uh, but when I say I feel it, does it hurt? No. It's like it's less than a pinch. Yeah. Like less than the feeling of a pinch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how small this needle is. But Got it. Yeah. All right. Let me yeah go back go back to final timeline because I I've only told you <laughs> I've stopped at one month okay yeah yeah let's go, let's go. <laughs> it has since been four wait March April May June we're almost in July it's been four yeah. months so I lost twelve pounds in the first month again I was fasting in the first month as well mm. and in that first month I was on 0.25 milligrams I started my higher dose of 0.5 milligrams on May 10th 
since starting that dose, I have only lost three pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually in the next round of higher dosage, but when I went to the higher dose of 0.5 milligrams, I plateaued is what I'm what I'm trying to okay. say. I lost three pounds total and have since plateaued. Okay. Uh, so overall, from March to, to, to this day that I'm speaking, I've lost 15 pounds. So I've and I'm going to tell you my full weight drop, uh, what I started at and what I'm at mm-hmm. now. I started at 210 pounds. Mm-hmm. I am now at 195, but because I've been plateaued, I fluctuate between 195 and 198 depending on water weight. Okay. I think what's been interesting about this journey is that you can really learn a lot about water weight <laughs> and how much it does change your weight. Because yeah. there was one day that I was like, 198 pounds and you know i went out for an evening and had a lot of dancing and other good stuff (laughs) going around in my system and you get dehydrated right woke up the next morning i was down to 195 and that's that's very significant to be 198 to 195 and yeah right but it just pulled me i'm like this is what water weight is. yeah so the lowest i've gotten to at this point in four months is 195 but i'm pretty much 198 right now, okay. like standard. Yeah, give or take. Okay, logistics and re- getting a renewed prescription. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that in the timeline. So on May 22nd, I reached back out to my healthcare provider on Push Health to ask for a refill of my prescription. May 22nd is when I was two weeks into my dosage of 0.5 milligrams. So that meant that I had two more weeks to be on 0.5 milligrams. And then once that month is over, which is a four weeks total, I would be bumped up to one whole milligram. So I needed to refill my yeah. prescription anyway yeah, yeah. to get get more of the drug. She did not respond until May 25th. So a full three days pass, the communication back and forth is a lot slower. Uh, to be totally fair and give her credit, the poor thing had a wrist injury and she told me all okay. about it and she was very apologetic and she said, I'm so sorry, I haven't been able to get back to a lot of people because I just broke my wrist. Oh, no. So I was like, oh, totally fine. Uh, we go back and forth for the next couple of days because I just wanted to understand. I had more questions to ask about the drug and the refill and all that stuff. Yeah. And so given that amount of time, she officially refills my prescription by May 30th. Okay. Then this is where it kind of gets interesting. She refills my prescription. It goes to the pharmacy. I get a notification from the pharmacy on June 6th. Mm -hmm. Again, that's like another week that has passed. But then they say they are unable to ship my prescription due to a notice that the California Board of Pharmacy had sent to them blocking any shipments of compounded semaglutide into the state of California. And I'm going to read this notification. Okay. So this is where it got interesting, and this is why I wanted to actually do an update because I was like, oh, it's happening. The government entities or or associations, not government, you know, like medical associations, pharmacy associations, whatever, they are starting to act on compounded semaglutide because they have some issue with it. So I wanted to learn more about that. But this is the notification. I did hear about this. So I'm curious. We are writing to inform you of a difficult decision we must make effective immediately. There has been much scrutiny over compounded injectable semaglutide. Strive, which is the name of the pharmacy, Strive has continued to watch all areas surrounding compounded semaglutide and consistently made efforts to be compliant. 
We have done rigorous stability studies, followed FDA guidance, and done everything we can to go above and beyond to follow the regulatory framework in regards to semaglutide. Strive has been proud to help clinics and patients during this time of drug shortage. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we received notice from the California Board of Pharmacy to immediately stop shipping semaglutide into California. We have every intention to follow the Board of Pharmacy and comply with their request. As of today, June 2nd, 2023, we are no longer shipping orders to California. All orders currently in process will not be filled and shipped due to our requirement to immediately cease and desist. Oh my gosh. We acknowledge that this is a large inconvenience for you and your patients. And then it goes on to say, like, what are some options for people who still want to purchase? I am someone who's in California. My first round of this drug was a shipment from this pharmacy. So their options are like, they pretty much were like, you can look for an alternative compounded pharmacy that's within the state, Mm -hmm. if they offer it, or... um, if you want to pick up, wow, you can pick up your drugs. Jeez. And guess what I am going to do? I'm going to go pick it up this upcoming weekend. No. I'm going to drive out there and pick up my drugs. Yep. That's what I'm going to do. So I'm so curious. With um, Push Health, would they not assist mm-hmm. you in finding a replacement in California or like another place that doesn't block it? That's a great question. I actually meant to bring that up. They notified me, told me about this blocking of shipping into California. I reached out to my nurse contact on Push Health and I told her like, hey, this is a situation. And then this time around, I do feel like her communication with me was a little bit short. Okay. Um, Not as helpful as she was when she first wrote my prescription. That could be because she's just trying to cover a lot of ground she's got a broken wrist whatever and trying to help a lot of patients but um let me actually read the messages okay so i wrote her on june 6th the same day that i got the notice from strive pharmacy and i said so i was like hello again so strive pharmacy just informed me that as of friday june 2nd they've they have been asked to stop shipping into california so they have put my prescription on hold i see that they have a sister compounding pharmacy in san diego is there any chance that my prescription can be filled there that's what i asked yeah. her And she goes, hi there. I'm so sorry to say California put an end to all compounded semaglutide. It doesn't matter which pharmacy. It is across the board. Uh And I wrote, understood. No worries. What do you know? (laughs) What do you know about Wagovia or Manjaro? (laughs) Are there any restrictions with prescribing off-label for these? Mm -hmm. Not that Wagovi would be off-label because it is specifically for weight loss, but Manjaro would be off-label. And then she goes, the restriction is the high out-of-pocket expense. Some pharmacies will not fill Manjaro without a diagnosis of diabetes. Mm -hmm. That is not the case with Wagovi since it is FDA approved for weight loss. So she's just saying stuff that I do already know. It's still helpful. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, I'm I'm basically trying to nudge. Right. All right. Where else can we go? Right. Right. (laughs) But she wasn't. She wasn't on her own proactively being like, okay, if Strive can't do this, let's see where else we can look. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I wrote, understood. Would it be possible to resend the most recent script to Strive Pharmacy? I'm just going to pick it up at their location in Arizona. Yeah. And then she resent the script from okay. there. So if you're wondering, Megan, why the hell are you going to pick it up in Arizona? Well, there's some nuance. Again, I live in San Diego. Arizona is actually very close. 
The pharmacy itself is a five hour and 30 minute drive away. Is that very close? No, that's so, so far. But for context, I'm so used to driving a goddamn eight hours from San Diego, Sacramento, that I'm like five hour, 30 minutes, nothing, whatever. Yeah. And it's once, once every three months, like this stuff lasts me for three months, yeah. whatever. Let's see how it is the first time sure. around to just drive out there. The other part of me selfishly is like, I've never done that drive <laughs> to, to Arizona. Yeah. I have never, uh, you know, it's so common. If, if you live in San Diego, it probably resonates with you, but so many people do that commute yeah. from Arizona to San Diego or Phoenix mm-hmm, to San Diego mm-hmm. all the time. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take this as an opportunity to just do it because then I can say I, could, yeah. I did. <laughs> it's fun. Road trip. Yeah. So I'm going to be driving July 2nd, Sunday, Sunday, staying a night. Yeah. And then getting the drug the morning of July 3rd and driving back on July 3rd. Damn. Yeah. All right. I want to know. They're not open on the weekends. Oh, that's <laughs> I have to. Yeah, they're not open on the weekends. That sucks. If they were, then I'd be out there like on Saturday and then have my whole 4th of July weekend. That's insane. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, because mm-hmm. I was going to say, and this might lead into your conversation with your primary care physician. Mm-hmm. We had talked last time when I was when we were initially talking about Ozempic. Is there a possibility? Although I know you need to have certain diagnosis codes and X, Y, and Z. Well, Govi, maybe not. Uh, it's diagnosed mm-hmm. for weight loss. But is there a possibility where you could go back to this primary care physician or a primary care physician, let them know the situation, and they could work with you on prescribing this off-label mm. for you? If it, right. But I'm assuming the reason maybe you have not done that is because of the pricing. Is that what it is? I don't know what pricing you're yes. getting here. So- are you you're talking about when you say primary care physician? Are you talking about my actual primary care physician that I have under Kaiser yes. or this registered nurse? Okay. The Kaiser. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm gonna work backwards from your question. The cost of the compounded semaglutide through Strive Pharmacy is, has is three hundred dollars, mm-hmm. uh, which is extremely affordable. Compared to uh, the actual price, which could be from $892 to $1,000 or more. So to me, $300, I'm like, that's doable just to see how this works. Like, I'm willing to pay that money. And I recognize $300 is still a lot of money. I am totally aware of that. It's nothing to scoff at. But uh, yeah. So going to my primary care physician under Kaiser... It has nothing to do with the primary care physician. I looked at uh, Kaiser, SoCal Kaiser's formulary. It, they only offer Ozempic mm, currently. Okay. They do not have Wagovi or uh. Manjaro on their formulary. Mm-hmm. Even if I were to ask to go on Ozempic, there's a couple things that could happen. My primary care physician could straight up be like, you don't qualify because you don't have type 2 diabetes. Therefore, I do not want to prescribe off-label because that's how they do their practice. And um, basically, I won't get a prescription. I won't get Mm -hmm. it. That's one option that could happen. The other option is they'll be like, I will prescribe it off-label, but because you do not qualify for diabetes, you have to pay a certain price because as I'm prescribing it off-label, insurance will not cover it. That's the second option. And in that option, it would be over $1,000. The third option is somehow, some way, I get an exception. The primary care physician's really in my corner to try to help me work some magic. And they do prescribe it, and the insurance somehow agrees to cover it because I go through a certain process to be an exception. Mm-hmm. 
And I've seen that if that is successful, the the price could be as low as $5 to $40. So it really does make a difference if insurance (laughs) covers it for you. Something that I found really interesting today through Reddit, because I was looking up Kaiser Reddit and (laughs) weight loss drugs, Northern California Kaiser has Wagovi on their formula. Of course they do. (laughs) And yeah. (laughs) And so there are some success stories on the Reddit forums there that are like, yeah, one person's primary care physician was all about Wagovi and was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get you on it. And I think it cost them $5. Wow. What's crazy to me, what's crazy, this is the crazy part, is that some people in the same exact chat message board will be like, I'm also (laughs) under NorCal Kaiser and my PCP will not help me in any way. They, some, one person had a story about, they asked their PCP for this knowing that Wagovi is on the formulary Mm -hmm. and their PCP did not think it was. They said something like, oh, Wagovi is only for type two diabetes. What? Yeah. And this is not surprising. I've had this experience with Kaiser myself. Like, you will have a physician sometimes that doesn't know shit. Yes. It is what it yes. is. And they can be extremely unhelpful <laughs> and not passionate at all. Mm-hmm. And that is just what happens, I think. Mm-hmm. Either it's the person themselves or it's the, the system that just makes them be like, this This is a terrible place and I don't <laughs> want to be helpful. <laughs> so, So anecdotally, on my end... I started this drug and I did end up having a physical a couple months ago, mm-hmm. like my annual physical. And I wanted to share with them that like, hey, I yeah. am on compounded semiglutide. I've had this physician in the past, primary care, and he was totally fine in the past. That said, we hadn't really talked about anything deep sure. in the past. <laughs> This time around, it was the weirdest, again, like a surreal experience being in the room with him. Basically, he's just going over all the standard questions of like, you know, do you drink? Do you smoke? Do you do drugs? Like yeah. all the basic, like da 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 da. And then he writes it in the chart, blah, blah, blah. So I bring up that I am currently on compounded semaglutide. And he goes, semaglutide? What's that? <laughs> and I am surprised to Jaw hear drops. a doctor. Yeah, I am, I am taken aback to hear a doctor ask me. What is semaglutide? And maybe that's because we've did a whole episode on Ensempic about it. Mm-hmm. And we were just a little bit more in tune. But I'm like, but you're the medical professional. Like, shouldn't you be kind of like with your finger on the pulse of what's trending right now medically? It's not even that, Megan. Like, oh, this is so for context, Megan has told me the story. And like that time, I will tell all of you guys, this doctor has no excuse. And that might sound harsh, but really, truly no excuse because semaglutide, as we know, was a diabetes medication first. It's been out for a long time. It's been out yeah. since the mid 2000s, like that whole drug class. So for him to not know what semaglutide is, is I'm genuinely mind blown, especially as a primary care physician who has probably prescribed yeah. diabetes every single, like uh, diabetes medications on the daily. Go on. That's a very good point. Like I also, I actually did not even think about it in that sense of like, are you not working with patients who have diabetes? Um, so, so his initial reaction to me bring up semaglutide is he asked me, what is it? And then I say, oh, well, maybe you're familiar with the brand names Ozempic, Wigovi, blah, blah. And then he goes, oh, Ozempic. Yeah. I just heard about this no. on NPR. 
And he's like, that's so funny that you bring it up. I just heard about this the other day. I was listening to an interview on NPR. And then he proceeds to tell me, he's like, you know what? I think you should stop doing this uh, semaglutide. Um, it the person that the, they talked to on NPR said it really had had bad effects oh, for them, and yeah. I was just nodding my head, mm-hmm. really internally astounded because I was like, "This doctor really just made a decision for me based on one mm-hmm. episode of NPR, one interview on NPR, and that's all he's using as his data." And um, it was really surreal. Yeah. Is it shocking? No. <laughs> like, I'm not shocked by it. But I was like, this is, I'm truly in the twilight zone, I guess. Um, because you, I'm so optimistic. I'm so, I put so much trust in healthcare providers. Yeah. I, I believe in science. Yeah. You know, like, I, I want, I want people to value the advice that healthcare providers provide. But I'm like, this is a moment where... I recognize it's because of people like him mm-hmm. that the, uh, the, the the general public do not want to believe in doctors. Yeah, and trust in do doctors. Do not want to believe in Ugh. science or whatever. Flabbergasted. And yeah, there were some other things that he said too that also <laughs> support my like disbelief that he was giving me any advice. The, this is something that's a little more PC. There's other stuff, but I'm going to have to – sorry, guys. Uh, but – I told him that, you know, I'm an occasional weed consumer. Mm-hmm. I don't smoke as much, but I'll do edibles, yeah. right? And so, you know, he types that in. And in his whole summarization of my chart, along with him saying, yeah, you should stop semaglutide, he goes, yeah, uh, weed, you shouldn't take that anymore either. That's really bad for you, blah, blah, blah. In my mind, I'm like, it, is he saying the smoking's bad for me? Because I can get on board sure. with that. Like, I, I get that smoking weed, any sort of inhalation might have some questionable effects. Like, you know, you know, car- carcinogenics happen, whatever. Right. But I'm like, but if, are you talking, or if you're grouping all weed, even edibles, <laughs> like, there's data that proves that it is totally fine just cannot. and beneficial in some cases. So he was saying stuff like that that was just so bizarre that is really okay and not to be ageist or anything by either extremes like what what age range is this guy Uh, it's hard to place my finger i think he's a little bit older Hmm. he is of asian ethnicity and i'm also just bad at telling age but he could have been between like mid 50s to mid 60s yeah or even early late 60s you know he's somewhere in that pocket he's older essentially i think older yeah it is interesting like i will say the only thing to his credit i will sympathize or empathize with is there are new drugs and new studies and x y and z coming out every single day it is hard to keep up with Mm -hmm. everything fine uh, and I don't know if he's coming from a practice of medicine where he's still sort of in that mindset where weed is bad for you. Like everything's are things were much more black and white, I would say like back in the day, yeah. like maybe when he graduated medical school and he started his own, started to practice and things like that. But it is still right. very, I would say irresponsible medicine to blatantly be like, oh, I listened to this NPR article or interview, mm-hmm. and therefore I'm going to base my medical de- decision on that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to now give yeah. that to you as advice. And same thing with the weed. Yeah. I'm not going to give you any explanation. This is more mm-hmm. my thought ideas of, yes. hey, 
I don't think you should do weed either. No explanation why, here's why, blah, blah, blah. If he at least explained why and maybe the physiology behind it and why he believed it was not a good idea, maybe it's because uh, uh, marijuana and semaglutide don't go together. It's an interaction or something going on. Explain it. This is bad medicine, just very black and white for me. And I'm I'm not exaggerating even the language I'm using. Yeah. He was really saying sentences like, you should stop doing weed because it's bad for you. <laughs> like, that's it. Because it's bad for you. Yeah. Um, just just really, truly incredible. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I still – I remember telling Harini this story and then I think you were like, are you going to change your position or something? And I was like, I don't know if I care enough. Yeah. And then I was like, no, it would be the right thing for me to definitely not have him as my primary care doctor totally. anymore. But so, the only reason I say yeah. that is thank God in this scenario that one, you're a smart lady and you do your own research ahead of time, but you're also just more aware of the things going on in your world and have common sense. Fine. That's all great. Let's just say that you have something God forbid, like something more serious happens and you actually need sound medical advice and someone to make those decisions because that's what you're going to the doctor for. You're trusting them that they have more knowledge than you in this area of expertise enough to guide you in the right direction for your own well-being. And if you cannot trust that person to do that for you, you should, for your own, literally for a life, your own life, do not continue seeing that person. Yeah, absolutely. Here's one more fun thing just to like shit on okay. the experience more, <laughs> shit on him more. Literally, sh- <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll be talk- uh, talking about shit. But one other thing I brought up in our, our session, uh, I've always had not great bowel movements. Always might be a strong term. Obviously, since childhood, like I've had good bowel movements or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in the last, this is not an exaggeration, God, probably in like in the last three to four years, I consistently do not have solid bowel mm-hmm. movements. Like more than anything, my bowel movements are liquid. Yeah. Um, I should probably just get a colonoscopy. <laughs> so we'll get to that at some point. But I talked to him about that because the whole reason I want to do the physical is to really just get a manage on my health. Yeah. Now that I'm doing this semiglutide, I want to talk about weight management. I want to meet with a nutritionist. I want to yep. see... Um, someone who can talk to me about like, why is my stomach mm-hmm. not absorbing liquids and I'm st- uh, not absorbing food and I'm still gaining weight? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, let's talk about that. Yeah. So I bring up my bowel movements and I say, um, you know, another thing I'm interested in and why I want to see a nutritionist is because like, I don't think I've had healthy bowel movements. Um, and he doesn't even ask me like what that means or what, the, what he describes. He just goes, um, there's no such thing as no healthy bowel movements. <laughs> Like, what? like, I, I think that's pretty much what he says, but he's like, we, we don't know how to define no he- healthy bowel movements. And that, that blew my mind because I'm like, I'm pretty sure there are charts that there are. can dictate what a healthy bowel movement looks like. And I do think I described to him, I'm like, I'm, you know, mostly I have diarrhea. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to, mostly yeah. I'm getting diarrhea. It's, they're not, they're not solid stools. And he was just very adamant, like very just quick in that response of, we don't know what a healthy bowel movement looks like. I don't understand. I was like, that's crazy. Has he never heard of the Bristol stool so chart? Like what? I, I don't know. So we, so we moved past it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And Megan. I didn't get connected with the nutritionist to be fair in terms of the nutritionist. They don't have nutritionists 
under SoCal Kaiser, at least. That's bizarre. Um, at least that was the impression that I got. Yeah, I so. I would not trust this guy <laughs> with this. I would not. Yeah, yeah. But I I mean, oh, I, I think I looked it up oh, you after. Okay. I think I think I think it's something that I would have to go outside of network. Oh, uh, okay. So, I, I yeah. do think that Kaiser will still help refer you though um, to nutritionists. Yeah. They'll set that up. But yeah. I hope not him. Yeah, not him. <laughs> I have. I do hope since that meeting that you have changed your PCP or or will change your PCP. <laughs> I- I will change okay. it. I have not okay. because I just like – I did that yeah. and I was like, well, I'm not going back for a long time. So it's just going to not be in my totally, head. Yeah. Totally. I get that. Uh, but I will change it. My gosh. <laughs> okay. Crazy. So that's that. Um, Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Okay. So that's where I'm at. So I, I've lost a total of 15 pounds If uh, just to reiterate mm-hmm. and I've plateaued. So had a lot of weight loss in the first month and then the f- three months after have been – Honestly, nothing. Maybe three pounds less, but I haven't gained. That's as important. Well. Yeah. So take that as you will. I will admit that I find it unsatisfying. I recognize that plateaus happen, mm-hmm. but um, it is unsatisfying to lose a lot of weight and then suddenly just be like maintaining for three months. Sure. Um, I'm curious to see what happens when I go pick up my new batch and inject the higher dosage and see if anything changes then or if not. And then then maybe I'll have a full detail of does compounded semaglutide work, yes or no? Yeah. And like what does the definition of work mean in this case? But that's where I'm at. Really quickly, there have been some recent stuff with compounded semaglutide in the last two months. Uh, the FDA did put out a warning to medical practitioners saying like, please be mindful of whatever compounded semaglutide you're prescribing to people. I think the warning is very vague though. Hmm. So here's, here's what it keeps getting repeated in articles, but the FDA put this on their website. So you find it here. Uh, it's titled medications containing semaglutide marketed for type two diabetes or weight loss. And then it goes has sections. They they say what is semaglutide, and there's a whole section describing what semaglutide is. What is compounding? And talk about that. Mm-hmm. Can semaglutide be compounded? And they talk about that. So this is all stuff that we've talked about on our episodes. Yes. Yeah. But this is where I'm like this. I get that this is a warning, but where's the data? Yeah. So here's the first sentence. Here's <laughs> this is this next section. It says, "Are there concerns with compounded semaglutide?" And then it says. FDA has received adverse event reports after patients used compounded semaglutide. Patients should not use a compounded drug if an approved drug is available to treat a patient. Patients and healthcare professionals should understand that the agency does not review compounded versions of these drugs for safety, effectiveness, or quality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Additionally, FDA has received report that in some cases, compounders may be using salt forms of semaglutide including semaglutide sodium and semaglutide acetate. The salt forms are different active ingredients than is used than the approved drugs, which contain the base form of semaglutide. The agency is not aware of any basis for compounding using the salt forms that would meet the FD&C requirements for types of active ingredients that can be compounded. On April 27, 2023, the FDA wrote to the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy, expressing the agency's concerns with use of the salt forms in compounded products. Okay. Them mentioning the salt form stuff is all fine. I think that's actually very important Mm -hmm. to talk about. But what I think is vague is that opening sentence. The FDA has received adverse (laughs) event reports after patients used compounded semaglutide. Do they ever elaborate 
on what those adverse event reports include? No, I could not find any of it anywhere. Who are the patients reporting this? What are the aver- adverse events? Can you give me examples? Is it extreme nausea? Is it shitting out your butt? Like, <laughs> what is it? Not mentioned anywhere. Nuts. So that's why I'm like, I get that this is a warning. I get there's concerns around this semaglutide acetate or sodium compound, and maybe that's um, you know valid. But like, where's the rest? Basically, so, a warning. That's my opinion. Yes, I agree with you. I was going to say a warning without data. There is another word for it. It's called a scare tactic. <laughs> Like I, I mm-hmm. like the first, as soon as you said that the FDA issued a warning about compounded mm-hmm. semaglutide, I'm like, oh my god, they're fear mongering a little bit. I understand mm-hmm. all of that. Like I think the the salt form is a valid point. I wouldn't say it's a concern. Mm-hmm. I think it's a valid point to at least point out to people so that they are aware and have the education on that. A shame on FDA for saying that there are adverse effects because as a consumer, if I was taking any kind mm-hmm. of any semaglutide, I would be like, oh my God, what are these adverse effects? Because I want to know if I have experienced any of these too, because that is something mm. I should know as clearly this is targeted towards people specifically who are on compounded semaglutide. And as a consumer of that, I would, I need to know what those adverse effects are. You, is yeah. is honestly again, irresponsible. I've never seen that happen. Like working in the industry and working just like in this medical world, I've never seen any warning or issues out of anything that's regarding adverse effects where you don't then list the adverse effects. Yes. I don't understand that. So that's why I kind of saying like, this feels a little sketch to me. It feels a little fear tactic-y, but you know, there's still good valid points, I guess, to pull from this. Yeah. I'm, it's a little bit more reading, so hang in there, everybody. Yeah. But I wanted to read you the letter that they wrote to the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy. It's very, it's quick in terms of it's just three paragraphs, mm-hmm. but I know that listening could feel longer. But I'll be real, real quick. Okay. In consideration of several inquiries received, we wish to clarify for state pharmacy regulators that as of that as of today, April twenty seventh, twenty twenty three, the FDA approved drugs Wagovia and Ozempic. Can, oh, sorry. The FDA-approved drugs, Wagovia and Ozempic, continue to be listed on the FDA drug shortage website. So real quick, for those of you who are curious, is there still a shortage? Yes, mm-hmm. there is. We mentioned that in our last episode. Here's a follow-up. Now, it's worse now. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the shortage is still happening yeah. and it is worse. If a product is listed on the FDA drug shortage website, we still consider the product to be in shortage unless it states that it is resolved. FDA works closely with manufacturers to confirm the accuracy and appropriateness of information before posting publicly on its website. As you know, depending on the circumstances, compounded drugs can be made and distributed with fewer restrictions when the drug appears on FDA's drug shortages list. Please find more information on drug compounding and drug shortages on FDA's website, blah, 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 stuff we know. Mm We also wish to ensure you are aware that the active pharmaceutical ingredient in Wagovia and Ozempic is semaglutide in its base form. Mm -hmm. We are aware that in some cases, compounders may be using salt forms of semaglutide, including semaglutide sodium, semaglutide acetate. Mm-hmm. We are not aware of any basis for compounding a drug using these semaglutide salts that would meet federal law requirements that limit the types of active ingredients that can be used in compounding. So that last sentence is what is critical, and I think it's also being used in certain uh, news articles um, to kind of create a scare tactic mm-hmm. 
because it, this is again tied to the salts thing. They're saying they're pretty much saying like the FDA, we haven't done any studies or regulatory research or blah 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 on these particular drugs, and therefore we do not see the benefits or effect. We we are unsure of its safety. That's basically what they're saying. Yeah. But what that doesn't mean is that it is unsafe. Correct. Does that make yes. sense? So I think a lot of people will read that and be like, oh, they're un- they cannot account for its safety or its benefits, therefore immediately unsafe. Like we gotta be scared of <laughs> these semiglutide salts, blah, 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 blah. That could be the case. But I'm just saying like, no, recognize that like it doesn't go the other way either. Like yeah. we they're pretty much just saying they don't have the research, period. Yeah. So they cannot vouch for it. It could be safe. We don't know. It's just so. the absence of data, but that doesn't mm-hmm. – it's just exactly that. It's neutral. It's just an absence of data. We don't know either way, but people are still taking it and are fine. Yeah. So, I mean, just to go back to – I think it was the FDA's warning that you're mm-hmm. talking about yes. where they were basically saying any – person sh- if should not be taking a compounded medication if there is an FDA approved version of that medication that yes. is hilarious right. FDA that is so hilarious that you're saying that because if that were the case then why are we in a shortage the reason why people yeah. are going off in these different avenues to get their medications is because there's not enough of it and like say right. I mean if there was enough of it you're not prescribing it to everybody, which I understand. I understand there has to be rules and regulations, but like we had already talked about this. And for your, in your example, there are people who I would say fluctuate. Maybe they're on the borderline. They're not necessarily obese. They're not necessarily overweight or whatever you want to say. They don't have diabetes, but they have struggled with their weight and they would like to get a hold of that for their own personal mental health and well-being. I think it is incorrect to deny those people if they are coming to you and having an open, vulnerable, intelligent, informed conversation about it. And they want to work with you Mm -hmm. on receiving those treatments. So it's more nuanced than just black and white. Like, hey, you should go just go get it from your doctor because it's available FDA approved. Well, you're not giving it to everybody and there's not enough. So now what? Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's nothing I hate more than (sighs) – this this happens um, in interpersonal interactions all the time, but it's this concept of like, hey, I'm telling you no to something or I'm going to limit this or whatever. I'm telling you no, but then they don't provide any sort of alternative Correct. resolution. Yep. I hate yep. that. I feel like <laughs> that this is me thinking more big picture outside of this, but yeah. it's like, to me, that means you don't want to help mm-hmm. you don't actually care mm-hmm. about the human aspect or like it's a lack of leadership too yeah. but that's that's what i feel in this situation with the fda warning and stuff it's like okay you provide a warning but what's your solution nova nordzik you're uh here's a little update nova nordzik has been going after some compounding pharmacies <laughs> to cease and desist saying that they're using Ozempic, which, okay, is fair because you, you shouldn't be saying using the brand name, saying that you're that's what you're compounding. But I'm like, but what's your solution? Like, if you're going to be the ones that are the only selling this, like, but we all know it's just money. <laughs> money, but the thing money, is, money, 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 money. You can't have your cake and eat it too. It's like it only yeah. benefits Nova Nordisk for them to uh, make more of the drug with a manufacturer and then sell their own drug. You know, yeah. like people want it. People yeah. want 
your drug, Nova Nordisk. Yeah. You just don't have enough of it. So you going after right. people who are making it does not solve the issue. Focus on your, like, it's very much stay in your own lane, figure out your own mm-hmm. stuff first. Like you're not, yeah. you're putting out fires that are outside of your home when your house has been on fire for months, you know, like it's right. What are you right. doing? Right. Yeah. I, I yeah. think it's just the priorities are all askew. Oh Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Sorry. So, uh, no, you're you're good. <laughs> Megan, it's like this is gonna be a I'm quick episode. A couple more points. <laughs> no, you know what? This is good. It means it's that it means that it's interesting it enough. Is. You know, it's people might be curious. Mm-hmm. So, this is from the New York Times. I wanted to look into okay, what states are going through kind of a similar ban mm-hmm. that California is going through. Also, a note on the California Board of Pharmacy ban on compound semaglutide. I checked their website. I could not find a statement on it at all. Maybe I'm not doing a good job at searching, but if someone wants to go and check their site and see if there's actually like a public statement on them banning compounded semaglutide, let me know. I just thought that was weird that they clearly have power over this pharmacy in Arizona, but I could not even find on their site a statement about it. So it was weird. They're money guzzlers. Fuck the state board. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Maureen. Okay, so... According to the Times, the North Carolina Board of Pharmacy has issued a statement forbidding compounding pharmacies to use salt forms of semaglutide. The West Virginia Board of Pharmacy issued its own warning on the topic. The Mississippi Board of Pharmacy also released a similar warning, writing that, quote, the drug manufacturers have become aware of the practice of using semaglutide salts for compounding and may choose to initiate legal proceedings to combat this practice. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's our three different states that are also kind of going through something there. I see. Yeah. And then to balance it, because we've just talked about the side that is seemingly kind of um, feeling uh, not threatened, but, you know, they're the ones that are putting warnings out. Let's talk about the pharmacy compound pharmacy compounders Mm, side. Yeah. This is from drugtopics.com. Okay. (laughs) So here's a statement from president of the Alliance for Pharmacy Compounding. APC. Mm-hmm. And his name is President Scott Brunner. I mean, for all we know, he could also be like money, money grubbing. Yeah. But who knows? You know, let's hear aside. <laughs> Assertions in news stories that the only legitimate semaglutide active pharmaceutical ingredient must be obtained directly from Nova Nordzik are, quote, flatly incorrect, the APC said. Remember that Nova Nordzik's patent is on the finished drug product. The company is not, to our knowledge, manufacturing the semaglutide active pharmaceutical ingredient itself. Rather, it's purchasing it from FDA-registered manufacturers, in parentheses, just as pharmacy compounding API wholesalers and compounding pharmacies do, Mm -hmm. and adding excipients to create its finished product. Mm -hmm. So although Nova Nordzik may exercise control over the supply of the API via its contracts with manufacturers, it has not yet completely locked down the supply chain on the active pharmaceutical ingredient, APC said. Based on reports we've heard from some compounding pharmacies that say they're able to access semaglutide base from FDA registered facilities. So I wanted Hmm. to share this because I know the question comes up of like, okay, if compounding pharmacies aren't using Ozempic and compounding that, then what are they using? Yeah. The answer, at least if we want to believe, (laughs) believe this, is that they are still using FDA registered facilities to get the semaglutide. That's like Nova Nordzik has not... Uh, what monopolized the actual generic thing of semaglutide. Yeah. And a lot of the 
a concern that I had seen on Reddit boards about people using compounded semaglutide is like, well, we get that they're not using the Novo Nordic brand name, but where are they getting it from? Are they getting it from China? There's always like weird finger pointing to <laughs> to China. Yeah. But like, it, but basically like people were worried like, well, what is this drug that they're using? Like, is it, you know, is it the salt base? And like, is that, is that something we should be concerned of? But like what this, what the Alliance for Pharmacy Compounding is trying to say is like, no, we're, we're getting it from an FDA approved source. That's just like the generic manufacturer or whatever. Yeah. So. I, see, this is what, where I'm confused and tripped up as you're explaining this. I was like, yeah, semaglutide is an old drug. It's no longer un, under yeah. patent if I'm remembering correctly. And I think that's what this article says as well. The only thing is, is the reason why I think Novo Nordisk is able to go after these people. It's a little bit of a loophole. And this is what pharmaceutical yeah. companies do. They, in order to prolong their patent or reinstate their patent, they they have the same drug or same um, generic drug that gets issued a new FDA indication. So now that kind of resets that patent. And that's what they did with Wagovi. Wagovi is brand new. Mm-hmm. I think 2020, 2019 or 2021 is when it came yeah. out. So now that patent has reset under semaglutide. So I don't know if they're going after these compounding pharmacies under the name of Wagovi semaglutide. I don't know if they're saying it's like you can't use Ozempic. The name obviously you can't use the name Ozempic, right. but that, I don't think that's right. not what compounded pharmacies do. Like inherently, that's not right. their purpose. Right. And exactly, once a drug goes generic, compounding pharmacies will get them from approved distributors, just like other generic wholesale manufacturers do. And the only difference with compounding pharmacies, if people are not aware. Megan just just uh, said it out loud. They add different excipients. What is an excipient? Mm-hmm. It's literally fillers. If you're thinking about like a capsule, for example, it's like just other things that fill up the capsule that aren't the active ingredient. Mm-hmm. It's just a filler. It has nothing to do. It could be like a color thing or like anything. Like it could be calcium, something yeah. that has no effect on your body. It's just to fill up the rest of the capsule so it's not empty. Literally, that's all it is. Yeah. And they have yeah. to just change the excipient to something else. Only one thing has to be changed in the ingredient. So that's not exactly the same as the branded recipe ingredients. That's all it is. Right. So right. I am very yeah. confused by this. And it all really comes down to their bottom line. It's a money thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The FDA and Norvin Nodzik over there. Hand in hands. hands. Yeah. Playing footsie yeah. with each other. Yeah. Don't love it. I was just going to ask you one question. One final question. Yeah, yeah. I think you were going to talk yeah, about yeah, it, please. but how has how has your metabolism changed, if at all? Like when you're talking about your bowel movements. Like <laughs> <laughs> how has it changed? I do not think the semaglutide has impacted my bowel movements. Okay. I think that... I hate to say this because it's outing myself and I just need to be real with myself. Okay. I think I just need to do a better job of drinking water. I truly, <laughs> I truly think my water intake is so poor mm-hmm. and that is why my bowel movements are bad. And the reason why I say that is because when I was fasting for Ramadan, I had the best bowel moons movements mm-hmm. I had in months. And I could be like, oh, maybe it is the the drug because it right I started yeah. taking semaglutide when I was fasting yeah. but the reality is I was drinking so much water <laughs> at night yeah. because you can't drink water during the day when you're fasting so I was super super vigilant about like I need to make sure I'm hydrated yeah. blah, blah, blah. I had solid stools 
Interesting. Fasting ended. And I there's a weird psychology with fasting and Ramadan for me. It's like I have all the discipline in one month <laughs> to drink lots of water and not eat food during the day, right? Like all the discipline that's been instilled for me, instilled in me for years of just following, you know, this faith-based practice, whatever. Yeah. The moment Ramadan <laughs> is done, it's like all right, back to regular life, back to bad habits of not drinking water and hey, that's just how it is. The other thing. <laughs> yeah, and just eating like eating lots of onion greasy, <laughs> greasy garlic uh food and so it's a theory I should test. Like after I hang up, I should just start chugging water and seeing if my stools go back to normal. Interesting. So okay. I personally don't think the drug has had an effect on my bowel movements. Okay. Um, in terms of yeah. in terms of other metabolism stuff, which you obviously your bowel movement is an indication of your metabolism, mm. right? Um, and how fast you digest and all that. I feel like my metabolism is maybe just a little slower. That's what I was because thinking. of. Rem- yeah. Yeah. Because of. If if it's digesting more slowly yeah. in my stomach, yeah. then yeah, I think that says enough. Yeah, there. Yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. I was just curious because usually when you think of losing weight, it's faster metabolism. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're just like shitting your brains out, but that's not really how yeah. this yeah. particular drug works. So I was just curious. Like, no, it sounds counterintuitive, but yeah, um, that is interesting. It's basically like the food sits in your stomach longer. So you have this feeling of fullness Correct. longer and you lose weight because your body is telling you you're still full yeah. eight hours later. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, you're not eating as many calories. Yeah. You're constantly yes. in a calorie deficit. So, yeah. Yes. So yeah. fascinating. That's pretty much it. Wow. That was so thorough. I'm so I'm so oh, thank you. Thank you for being very vulnerable and transparent with your entire process. Mm-hmm. This is going to help help a lot of people. So thank you, Megan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to share. And honestly, I thought I'd be losing like 10 pounds per month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I would have reached whatever goal weight I had mm-hmm. in mind for myself. And for those people who are curious, I'm only saying this because it's like, I think it can be really intriguing when you hear these stories, especially on Reddit of like, yeah, I lost 10 pounds consistently yeah. over a period of four months. So in four months time, you lost 40 pounds. Like <laughs> that's wow, a lot. That's so um, can sound very appealing. Mm-hmm. So in my experience, that did not happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. The 12 to 15 pounds that I lost in and of itself has brought back a lot of confidence for Mm -hmm. me. And while I'm still in a high BMI range, I'm five, three and a half and I'm 198 pounds. I think my BMI is over like 33 or something like that. If you believe in BMI. Yeah. If you do, like I I, I don't. Yeah. (laughs) But, but uh, I, I feel good. Good. I feel good. That's the most important. I feel better than I had been feeling. Yeah. So yeah, just wanted to share that too. Amazing. So anyway, that's my story. Good job. Thanks for listening. All right. Let's close out. I'll do my antidote yeah. real quickly. Yeah. My antidote is that yeah, yesterday night, because we're ta- we've been talking about food and stuff, <laughs> was the first time I really dove into French cuisine. And one of the dishes was a little more humble and basic. I did a ratatouille, but it looked gorgeous, gorgeous. and it came out wonderful. And I was very happy with that. The other dish is a dish that I truly had no experience cooking before. It's coquevin. Mm-hmm. I know I'm butchering that, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's basically this wine and brandy braised chicken in a pot stew. Blah, 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 blah. 
it came out wonderful. Oh, so glad and I was very happy with that. First time cooking it. Look, yeah. And Harini, the only reason I didn't send pictures is while it came out wonderful, it doesn't necessarily sure. look I understand pretty. That. I understand that. So I, did, I didn't send a photo. <laughs> but the the broth was divine. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I just almost broke my mic by <laughs> So excited about the chicken juice. <laughs> I know. So good. I, I told Phil, I was like, honestly, fuck the chicken. Let's just eat bread. Yeah, and dude, in the broth. Yes, you must. That's the French way. Oh, my God. Get a baguette yeah. while you're at it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Lovely. So that's my antidote. I, I cooked a great meal. It's very satisfying. Amazing. Uh, mine actually sort of related. I was able to go on a world tour, not really a world tour, of Southeast Asia and I had already told Megan this, but I was so inspired by all the food I was eating because I'll be honest, mm. like, I think if you grow up in a already a culture that's not American, I hate to say, like, you're already going to find, you're already be exposed to different flavor profiles, especially being Asian. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any other flavors or combination of flavors that I haven't already had or tasted. Boy, was I wrong. Like, I think Malaysian flavors, delicious, but they were still flavors that I was familiar with, but just like put together in different ways, which I loved. Going to Indonesia specifically and Cambodia, oh my goodness. Like, I have not had some of those flavor profiles ever in my life. And it's just very uh, refreshing and exciting Mm -hmm. to be able to Mm -hmm. taste new things for the first time in your life Mm -hmm. at this stage in my life. I'm almost 30. So I was like giddy almost with how excited I was. I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Right. So that was very exciting. And also I had told Megan this as well, but it was, especially in Bali, it was such a honor and very rewarding to see the food outside, the the produce, literally all around you. See the rice fields. You see the mangoes on the trees. You see all the fruits. You see the lemongrass growing, blah, 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 blah. And then you see it reflected in the food. They are literally, it's very homey. It's very farm cooking. That Whatever they eat in the fields, you're eating on this very nice dinner table in front of you. And it tastes right. so good. So yeah, that is my antidote. Food is a godsend. Love it. Love food. Love, love food. Love the <laughs> The genuine farm to table yes. experience. Genuine. I don't think a lot of us get that, mm-hmm. uh, especially if we live in more urban community. Um, and then eating, being in the farm to table experience while in the jungle, yes. in the in the farm, the food forest yeah. itself is another level. Yeah. And I, I absolutely, I think I can only think of one time in my recent life where I've tried something that was a mixture of flavors that was so novel to my palate because I'm 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 saying is like I get that feeling. Yeah. It is if you know what we're talking about guys it's like imagine your tongue seeing a new color yeah. right like it's something Literally. you and it's it's I find those experiences so wonderful mm-hmm. because like when yeah for Harini and I we've been exposed to a pretty diverse palate since childhood because our parents are immigrants from Southeast Asian countries. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, maybe there's not a lot out there that can surprise us, but when something does where we've never really tasted something that's mixed this way before mm-hmm, or whatever, mm-hmm. it's just completely novel. It's just surreal it's is surreal. My, my word of the day. It's surreal yeah. um, and very, and very sublime. Yes, so sublime. sublime. So perfect yeah. word for that. Yes. Anyway. Love it. Perfect. All right. So those are our okay. antidotes. We'll just quickly say 
uh, we will, we have decided that we're going to go mm-hmm. on a summer break. We have been doing mm-hmm. this for a while, pushing these podcasts out week after week. And we are just feeling mm-hmm. like we would like a nice two month, maybe longer break to just enjoy our summers and also let you yep. enjoy your summer as well. And then we'll see you back after that. So I think we're going to do one more episode. I'll have my episode and then mm-hmm. we're going to go on a break, but we'll see you when we get mm-hmm. back. Enjoy your travels. Stay safe this summer. Have fun. All right. Don't risk it for the NPR medical advice giving biscuit. <laughs> Perfect. I will go with that. Thank you. Uh, okay. It's true. That's it. That's good. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.